0: Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. A rested child is a happy child. Sleep Tight Stories is a weekly podcast that brings comfort and joy to families worldwide with calming bedtime stories. The stories are relevant to children and spark wonder without overstimulation, so they can fall asleep and stay asleep. Listen to Sleep Tight Stories on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Or a bedtime routine you'll miss when they're grown. Sleep Tight Stories.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross
0: Hello and welcome to This Day in History Class, a show that serves up a tall glass of history every day of the week. I'm Gabe Lussier, and in this episode, we're talking about the birth of one of the world's most recognizable brands, a soft drink that combined the uplifting effects of coca leaves and cola nuts with the simple joys of fizzy water and a boatload of sugar. The day was May 8, 1886. Coca-Cola was sold for the first time at a pharmacy in Atlanta, Georgia. Originally billed as a health tonic, the bubbly beverage was sold for a a glass and quickly became one of the most popular drinks at the soda fountain. The inventor of Coca-Cola was Dr. John Stith Pemberton. He was born on January 8, 1831 in Knoxville, Georgia. He later studied medicine and pharmacy at a medical college in Macon, and in 1850, at the age of 19, he was licensed to practice herbal medicine. He briefly did so in Rome, Georgia and other nearby towns, but in 1855, he settled in Columbus and established a wholesale drug store. Five years later, Pemberton expanded his operation by opening his own research and manufacturing laboratory. There, he began producing his own line of patent medicines. In 1861, the American Civil War began, and Pemberton joined the Confederate Army, eventually rising to the rank of lieutenant colonel. He was badly wounded during the Battle of Columbus in 1865, and soon became addicted to the morphine he used to control his pain. After the war, Pemberton settled in Atlanta and began working on a kind of cure for his addiction. His goal was to produce a pain-relieving tonic that was morphine-free, and he experimented with lots of different botanicals while trying to perfect the formula. He eventually created a recipe that contained extracts of coca leaf, cola nut, and demania, an aromatic flower used to make a traditional Mexican liqueur. The resulting concoction was called Pemberton's French Wine Coca, and for the next couple decades, it was the most in-demand alcoholic beverage on the market, not just in Atlanta, but throughout the Southeast. Of course, him being a doctor and all, Pemberton didn't market the drink solely on the merits of its taste or its alcoholic content. Instead, he focused on the drink's supposed health benefits, calling it, quote, "...the most excellent of all tonics, assisting digestion, imparting energy to the organs of respiration," and strengthening the muscular and nervous systems. Whether those claims were true or not, Pemberton's French wine, Coca, continued to do strong business all the way up to 1886. That's the year Atlanta and Fulton County enacted a temperance ban on alcohol, effectively cutting out Pemberton's biggest market. Down but not out, the doctor set to work on producing a new, non-alcoholic version of his signature drink. To help perfect the formula, he enlisted the aid of Atlanta drugstore owner Willis Venable. The revised recipe omitted the damiana leaves and substituted sugar syrup for wine. But the caffeine-rich cola nut extract was retained, and so was the coca leaf extract, complete with its trace amounts of pain-relieving cocaine. Once the recipe for the base syrup was locked down, Pemberton and Venable mixed a small amount with still water and gave it a taste test. Satisfied with the results, Venable went back for seconds, but that time, he accidentally used carbonated water instead. To both men's delight, the carbonated version tasted even better than the original and was more refreshing, too. That's when it dawned on the men that the drink might have wider appeal than the average tonic. It could even act as an alternative to kid-friendly sodas like ginger ale and root beer. On May 8, 1886, Dr. Pemberton decided to test that theory by taking a jug of his new product over to Jacob's Pharmacy on Peachtree Street. There, the syrup was mixed with soda water, sampled by those present, and promptly deemed delicious. The new soda fountain refreshment was immediately put on sale for five cents a glass when Pemberton was asked what the drink was called, he dubbed it Coca-Cola, a nod to the key ingredients of coca leaf and cola nut extracts. To be clear, though, the name was not his own invention. It was actually coined by Pemberton's bookkeeper, Frank Robinson. He also suggested changing the K and cola to a C, as he thought the symmetry of two C's would look pleasing in advertisements. To show what he meant, Robinson wrote out the name Coca Cola in flowing script letters, and Pemberton liked it so much that he used the handwriting sample as the basis for the product's logo, which is still in use today. Shortly after the drink's debut, the first newspaper ad for Coca Cola appeared in the Atlanta Journal. Then, hand painted oilcloth signs began popping up on store awnings, inviting thirsty passers by to stop in and try a glass for themselves. Surprisingly, though, not all that many people did. In fact, during Coca-Cola's first year on the market, only about nine glasses were sold each day. The total sales for that first year added up to just $50, which put Pemberton in the red, as it had cost him over $70 to create and distribute the drink. Although he had a winning product on his hands, Dr. Pemberton never quite figured out how to market it. Unable to fully shake the idea that Coca-Cola was a health tonic, he touted it as a way to, quote, cure all nervous afflictions, headache, neuralgia, hysteria, melancholy, etc. But even though soda fountains were often found in drugstores, the younger crowd that hung out there weren't all that interested in medicine. If Pemberton had played up the drink's sweet, unique taste, he may have had better luck. But as things stood he wasn't making nearly as much money off Coca-Cola as he had hoped. If that weren't bad enough, Pemberton was still addicted to morphine, and soon after Coca-Cola was introduced, he fell ill with stomach cancer as well. He started selling off portions of his business to pay for his medical care and his costly addiction. He made sure to retain a share of the ownership of the Coca-Cola formula, however, as he remained convinced that it, quote, someday will be a national drink. Unfortunately, his son was less convinced and eventually persuaded his father to sell his remaining interest in the patent shortly before his death in 1888. The buyer for that patent was a fellow Atlanta pharmacist named Asa Griggs Candler. A shrewd businessman, Candler quickly bought up the other rights Pemberton had sold off, eventually, securing himself full control of the product. Within a decade, Candler turned Coca-Cola into the national drink its inventor always knew it could be. Under his leadership, the company went from 1 million servings sold in 1890 to 100 million in 1900. The secret, of course, was advertising and marketing. By the turn of the 20th century, the drink was sold in pharmacies, soda fountains, and ice cream parlors all across the U.S. and Canada. And around the same time, the company also began selling its syrup independent bottling companies. They would pay a licensing fee for the right to sell the drink and would then mix, bottle, and distribute batches of it to local shop owners, a business model that's still in place today. In 1919, the Coca-Cola company was sold again, and the new president, Robert Woodruff, placed even more importance on bottling. With him at the helm, advertising began to focus on the idea that Coca-Cola was a drink to enjoy everywhere. Sure, you could still buy a freshly mixed glass at your local soda fountain, but you could also buy a bottle to drink at home later. And come to think of it, why stop at just one, when you could pick up a whole six-pack carton from metal coolers all over town? Woodruff's hunch that bottling was the future of the brand turned out to be true. Soda fountains fell out of fashion by the 1960s, but bottled Coca-Cola continued to be sold at restaurants, gas stations, and just about everywhere else. And I do mean everywhere, because during the Second World War, Woodruff opened 60 bottling plants in North Africa, Europe, and the Pacific. The ostensible goal was to make sure American troops had easy access to Coca-Cola overseas, providing them a little taste of home one bottle at a time. However, there was also a welcome bonus that the company almost certainly foresaw. Namely, By exposing foreign populations to the universal pleasure of Coca-Cola, they had created both brand awareness and local demand. As a result, the company continued to operate globally even after the war. Sadly, its unethical business practices have often wreaked havoc on local communities, leading to water scarcity and trade union disputes. Today, Coca-Cola and its various offshoots are available in more than 200 countries and counties. The company sells more than 1.3 billion drinks every day, with the original Coca-Cola accounting for a large percentage of that total. The world-famous soda no longer costs a nickel, and it no longer contains cocaine either. But hey, at least you don't have to hang out in a pharmacy all day just to drink. I'm Gabe Lucier, and hopefully you now know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. You can learn even more about history by following us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TDIHCshow. And if you have any comments or suggestions, you can always send them my way by writing to this day at iheartmedia.com. Thanks to Chandler Mays and Ben Hackett for producing the show, and thanks to you for listening. I'll see you back here again tomorrow for another day in history class.